Hey there, welcome to How I Got Hired, a podcast to inspire job seekers to find their dream jobs or reinvent their careers. I'm your host, Sonal Pehal, founder of Supercharge and career strategist. And every week I hold a conversation with a new guest who's had extraordinary career success. And today I am speaking with the one and only Suzanne Lucas. Suzanne is the evil HR lady, ooh, <laughs> who helps people have great careers and be better managers. What that means is she helps you to understand what your boss is thinking, whether you should contact a lawyer and what your chances are of getting severance. That doesn't sound so evil to me actually. Suzanne, very warm welcome to How I Got Hired. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Same here. Absolutely. So Suzanne, I'm curious because you've been working in HR for over two decades. I, I like to know where things are going, but I also like to know where it's been. So, you know, talk to us about that. Did you always want to be in HR? I didn't really know HR existed at the beginning. <laughs> um, I, my, my career goal as um, from college was to be a professor of political science. What? Yes. <laughs> Yes, um, that's what I wanted to do. And my bachelor's degree is in political science. And then I enrolled in a doctorate program mm -hmm. in political science. And I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> and I really loved as a as a as a PhD student, um, you get the chance to teach undergraduate classes. And I loved teaching undergraduates. I love it. Um, I would go back to it in a heartbeat to teach um, college students. And um, mm. I was teaching night classes, which is mostly um, what I like to call real adults, you mm. know, that were supporting mm. themselves and were going back to school. I loved it. But I hated every other aspect of the program. And I realized this wasn't the career for me. So I left and after I got my master's degree and I thought, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, I have two degrees in political science. Now what? Yeah. And I loved the teaching and I love teaching adults. Um, I want to be clear on that. No one wants me teaching their first grade. <laughs> Thanks for the clarification. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I am not a first grade teacher. Nope. And so I said, well, where can I do teaching professionally and I thought okay um, training is in HR I'm gonna get a job in an HR department and so I did and that's how it all started mm, no I understand and and uh, you know so many people are a bit confused sometimes they're like hey I don't know what I love I don't know what my passion is it's actually overrated sometimes you just got to do it like you said I actually had done it before and I enjoyed it if you don't do it then you don't know so that's um uh, fabulous. So then you get into HR. Uh, and in fact, you were at uh, Wyeth, a large pharma company yes. uh, for eight years, just before you started your famous, or should I say infamous <laughs> blog. <laughs> um, let's get into that. How did you get hired at Wyeth? So um, my, um, my first real job, I worked in temp jobs for about six months um, in, in HR departments with, with a grocery store chain. Um, called Wegmans and anybody in the east mm -hmm. coast of the U.S. knows Wegmans they're an amazing mm -hmm. grocery store but um, 
my husband got a job in in uh, Pennsylvania and I moved and I was able to transfer my job down there, but I was not in the corporate office anymore. And so the only way for me to move up the ladder was to work in the stores, but working in the stores means nights and weekends. That's just, that's how grocery stores work. And I didn't want to work nights and weekends. I just, I didn't. Mm. And so I started looking for a new job um, because I wanted growth. I wanted to be promoted, Mm. um, but I didn't want to go into the store. And I applied for a bunch of jobs and I got two job offers and one as a compensation analyst and then one as an um, HR analyst at uh, Wyeth. And I turned down the Wyeth job uh, because I was an HR analyst at the grocery store chain and I wanted growth, right? I wanted a promotion. I didn't want to move to do the same thing. So I turned them down and um, the recruiter said to me, why are you rejecting it? Was it the salary? And I was young and naive and I probably should have said, yes, the salary was too low. <laughs> but I was honest and I said, no, I want growth. And this is the exact same thing that I've been doing for the past two years. I want to do something different And so she called me back the next day and said, "Um, we'd like you to come in and interview for a position as the manager of the other position. (laughs) And so I came back in and I interviewed with the vice president and then they offered me that job on the spot. And then I had the awkward thing of... um, Having to go back to the compensation <laughs> analyst job, which I'd already accepted. And I I called the hiring manager and um, I explained what happened. And he said to me, that's the absolute right decision. He said, I would absolutely take that job if I were you. That is so sweet and understanding because that's not what a typical reaction would be, Susan. No, he was such a nice guy. And then the funny thing is, is three or four years later, he shows up at Wyeth and um, I remembered him and he remembered me and I went in and I thanked him and he's like, no, it was absolutely, again, he confirmed that was the right decision. This was a career path move and um Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, I love the fact that, you know, you were so much um, younger back then, Suzanne, and you made the ask because we have this fear when we're younger. Uh, our, our lizard brain is telling us, shut up. You don't know anything um, and do whatever they say. And you said, no, <laughs> <laughs> I want more. And And do you remember something specific about the interview process that made them want you so much? No, I I don't, it was the most interesting job interview I've ever had. And um, I hope it's been a long enough time I can say this, but um, my direct boss there, when she interviewed me, she said, I'm going to tell you straight out, here are the things that are wrong with this job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she she unsold it. Yeah. She unsold it. And one of the things was, she said, you know, my boss is a nightmare but she pays really well. And she said, I will protect you to the best of my ability, but I, you need to come into this knowing that she's a nightmare. 
And, and I look back on that interview and that's the only interview I've ever had where someone was really honest. And I have to say that I adopted that into my strategy when I was hiring people is that I would be like, here are the problems you will face. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the things that, you know, candidates are trying to sell themselves. Mm-hmm. Hiring managers are trying to sell the company mm-hmm. and you get mismatches when okay. you do that. Whereas my, my former boss, she was like, here is the, here are the challenges you'll face. And these things are going to be awful, but you will be rewarded financially. And it was a financial reward. I ended up with a 40% pay increase to change jobs too. Very nice. (laughs) Very nice. And I got super lucky and the the bad boss um, ended up getting fired three months after I started. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. This is a fantastic thing actually, because, you know, she must have seen you, your nonverbal communication, everything. She must have seen that you weren't getting ticked off by all the unselling that she was doing. Uh, Probably to the contrary, it it may have uh, fueled you up and said, hey, (laughs) I like a mess. I'm in. Where do I sign? Yeah. I mean, it was a really positive thing for me because when I went in, I knew what my challenges were. Yes. And so many times we bring people in and then on their first week or first month, we're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Uh, we're having budget cuts and, you know, this is going to be this problem. And, and the poor person is like, so I'm, um, I'm very, very grateful to Jen. She was a fabulous boss, um, straight shooter. And she told it how it was always. And I really appreciated that about her. I mean, everyone should have a piece of that, you know, to understand what good bosses are like, because they can, particularly at the start of your career, they can make such a huge impact. They Um, really can. And, And you know, it reminds me of a little story, HR to HR. Um, When I was back in GE in in India, uh, one of the things I was looking after was the recruitment for the call center. And it's kind of like what you said, Suzanne, there were nights, there were weekends, and everyone said on paper, yeah, they're okay with that. But what we did was uh, we had a program uh, where we brought them in in the middle of the night, actually, um, in 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 a cab. And we would show them what life was like inside. It was lively. It was energetic, but they needed to understand that. And anybody who said, actually, you know what, this is not um, what I want to do. We would call that saved attrition um, in terms of expectations matching. This is like 20 years ago. And I can't stress how important these type of initiatives are because this honeymoon thing and and the moment (laughs) the honeymoon is period is over, people are like, hey, this is not what I signed up for. I'm so disappointed. Well, I'm going to, I'm writing this phrase down, this saved attrition, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to steal it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you. really, we, this was a KPI for us, Suzanne. Um, if one person dropped out of uh, a session of 50 people, it was actually celebrated. Um, you know, the recruiter wasn't angry, like, hey, it took me, you know how long it took me to find that guy? <laughs> it wasn't that. It was like, okay, that person saved us probably six to eight months of investment. Exactly. And I wish more companies would do this. This has been a drum that I've been beating for a long time based on mm-hmm. my personal experience doing it. But just be honest. If everybody was honest, mm-hmm. um, how much better would our companies be? We could find we could find real matches. Um, you know, if 
if the hiring manager had said to me, you know, this is a great place to work. And she just focused on the salary, which was fantastic. Um, and then I came in and found out that the, the big boss was completely bonkers. I would have been like, hey, you misled me and now I'm bitter and I want to get out of here. But because I knew she was bonkers coming in, like when she went on her rants, I was just like, oh, I knew that was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that softens that softens the blow so much. So I, I love that you shared that, um, Suzanne. So fabulous. I'm going to get into the juicy part of this conversation, which is your <laughs> blog, The Evil HR Lady, which is... <laughs> Hugely successful and across platforms. I know you're getting like half a million visits per month. So talk to us about what made you start. Well, um, I've always loved writing. I always loved writing and I love advice columns and I still read advice columns to this day. And I grew up reading, um, reading advice columnists and and so in the early 2000s, when blogs started to be a thing, mm. I was like, hey, I could be the advice columnist that I've always wanted to be. Mm. And no one can stop me. <laughs> mm. And because I was working for Wyeth at the time, um, pharma is a very conservative industry. Yeah. And blogs were new. Social media didn't exist, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was like MySpace or something, but it wasn't <laughs> a thing. Um, I knew that I couldn't write under my real name uh, because I knew that there were people that wouldn't like it. Mm. And so I needed, I needed a pseudonym. And so I thought about what people think of HR and all of that. And um, I was also reading another, another blog where someone had used the title evil Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be the evil HR lady. And I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't ever intending for it to be anything more than just fun. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started this, this blog and it was anonymous. Uh, I was still working yeah. in, in pharma and it slowly started getting hits and people started following me. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. What have I done? <laughs> what have I done? And it just, it grew from there. You called it evil because also I, I read this on your blog. This, uh, there's a certain perception um, that the HR profession enjoys, so to speak. I'm putting that in quotes. So, you know, when you started, which was like, can you believe it's been 13 years? It's a long time. Well, it's, actually, I started the blog in 2006. So it's been oh, even longer. Oh, 15 years. It's a proper teenager with tantrums I, and everything. I know. I know. So, you know, when you started it, you called it evil. Uh, what do you think about the reputation of HR um, between then and now? Um, I don't know that HR's reputation has gotten any better. Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem, there's a couple of problems with HR. One is purely a perception problem. Mm -hmm. And that is if, you know, if you get called into a meeting with your boss and you walk in and there is sitting your boss and the HR manager, you know how that meeting yes. is going. 
It's the undertaker. <laughs> it's the undertaker. That's what it's unfortunately that's the perception. That's the perception. The HR manager is never sitting there to tell you you're doing a great job. <laughs> and you know, for for senior leadership, they work closely with an HR business partner and all of that. But for the rest of the company, they see HR when they're hired mm-hmm. and then when they're fired. Mm-hmm. And um and only in between if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so people get this real negative perception just because HR only appears when when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, of that we do a lot of things ourselves to cause our bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is in hiring. Um, you know, and there's a lot of people that says say recruiters should be separate from HR, but I think the human what's more human than than the recruiting mm-hmm. and for a long long time we had, you know, the the buyers market and so mm-hmm. uh, companies are able to treat candidates poorly. And they did. And ghosting became a huge problem. You know, people would come in and interview multiple times and then never hear back. Yep. And if, if you're treated like that from who you perceive to be the HR person, which is the recruiter, why on earth are you going to trust HR when you do get a job? You know, they're they're not supportive they're out to get you they don't care about employees and this is the perception that we build and then of course you add to it when you have hr that blindly supports management and yeah. everything yeah 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 and I know that the purpose of hr is to support the business and to protect the business that's clear but Sometimes supporting and protecting the business means telling the management no. Yeah. And some HR people can do that and some cannot. But even those of us that do stand up to management, and I'm sure you've had your share of battles. I've had my share of battles. Yes. We're not the decision maker. No. So we wish we were, we wish we were, but we wish we were, Hmm. you know, where I advised this vice president that I needed to give this group of people a raise. um, Hmm. And he was like, no, I don't need to do it. And, and of course I was right. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. And then it's, it's too bad because then uh, the ones who do listen are actually, I mean, it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but the ones who do listen are actually good leaders. Yes. Yeah. Who has the finger on the pulse and who's skimming, you know, on the surface and just pretending to know, but don't really know Jack's shizzle of what's going on. Down exactly. There. And then who does the management blame when it goes wrong? You know, yeah, yeah, who, yeah, who yeah. did he blame? He blamed me. Well, HR said I couldn't. I'm like, oh yeah. my gosh, HR said you should. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If there's one thing you could do, you know, like the evil HR lady. So let's say, you know, the evil became the angel. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you had a, a magic wand and you could do one little thing and things would be different. What could that look like? Oh my goodness. If I had a magic wand. For the HR <laughs> profession. Because you know, the thing that you said about ghosting, uh, Suzanne, we're recording this in 2021. I think it's, uh, I read somewhere, it's the worst it's ever been in the history of recruiting and ghosting. I don't have facts here, but I know it's pretty bad. And anyone listening right now, I mean, they've been ghosted. We've all been ghosted. We've all been ghosted. I mean, that would be a problem that I would love 
to fix that that would be a great magic mm. a magic wand but I'm not sure that would be my one magic my one magic fix okay um, the, the close second because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things that would be really nice to fix and I think maybe what I would choose to fix is is um I would make compensation open mm-hmm. um because the only advantage to compensation being confidential is to the employer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I, I have this dream and I know it's never going to happen, but if I sent out a job offer letter and said, you know, your position will be as an analyst and we're offering you the salary of $65,000. And then I would put below, and here are the other analysts in your department. You know, Jane is making 62,500. John is making 63, you know, and then, and then if that was your deal, then you could accept or reject the offer based on full knowledge. But the way it is now, the only person's salary you know is your own. Mm-hmm. And it allows discriminatory practices to continue and when I've said this to managers they're like well if employees they they wouldn't understand why there's differences and I'm like if you can't explain the differences then perhaps those differences shouldn't be there yeah and they're usually there for historical reasons and then you want to protect people with very high pay oh my gosh that's um it's horrible. And, you know, when you find out, Suzanne, you're going out with your friends over drinks and someone's like, what? You earn 90? And you feel like a piece of like, what? I feel used. Yeah, you know, this is not new, right? And it's, um, uh, there's a, a few companies that are brave enough to actually practice this. I know that uh, Ricardo, Semler, Ricardo Semler in uh, in Brazil, uh, this is 15 years ago, the, his book that I read, um in his uh, family-owned company, which was this huge factory, and he had open practices. I'm not sure how he's doing today, uh, but you're right. It's all about protecting interests and keeping exceptions. You know, making <laughs> sometimes the exceptions are the rule, and and make you know ensuring their status quo. Yeah, and that's that's what it's about. And people are scared. And I understand that because some people are going to be like, well, why does he make 20,000 more than I do? And it's like, I need to be able to sit down and explain why that is. And also, if it's open, I can also say, yeah, so here's the offer take it or leave it. This is yeah. what we're we're doing. And this is another thing that I am an advocate for and people think I'm bonkers as well is um, when I made job offers to people, I never negotiate. I make my highest and best yes. offer first. Yes. yes. And, um, and, and I tell them when I make that and I didn't ever hold it against them if they came back and countered, I would just say, nope, that offer is final. And in doing that, I think one of the problems that we get in HR and in business with unfair salaries is in the negotiation phase. So if I'm, a, if I'm taking a job as a salesperson, yeah, negotiation is a huge part of my job. So if, I can, if I'm a better negotiator, I should get a higher salary. But if, if you're hiring me as a technical writer, 
Negotiation is not part of the job of a technical writer. So why are you rewarding somebody with negotiation skills? Mm -hmm. You should be rewarding someone only for their skills that, uh, that go with that job. So it should be your technical writing skills. And when we allow negotiations, it just really opens up for unfair and for emotional persuasion. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to, to get everybody on the highest and best offer first. And, um, and I always, I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, when I, when I was working at, at Wyeth um, for the, I don't know, first four or five years that I was um, there, I worked in the, um, in the, essentially the analytics department. And we all had access to all compensation data within the company. So I also knew that my employees all would know my salary and mm-hmm. their salaries and their coworkers' salary and the CEO's salary. Like I, I knew that that was the case. Yeah, I think that's it. You know, when you've got nothing to hide and there is a culture of open compensation and benefits practices, like everything is CNB is open, then the negotiation thing that you're saying makes perfect sense. Um, Till then, because, you know, I know what you're saying, because I tell my clients that I have a YouTube channel and this particular video on salary negotiation is the only video that has crossed 200,000 views because obviously there's a clear need for it. And and one of the things I say in the video and I stand by it is people always have recruit or, or VPs or hiring manager, there's always a little bit in their pocket. They know they know it and they expect you to negotiate. However, if you came up with your best offer, there is nothing left in the pocket. Everything is out there. There's nothing to hide. So I do see I do see what you're saying, Suzanne. And you know what? Never say never. I heard you say that twice. Uh, <laughs> it's never going to happen. Yeah, you know what? We'll see. <laughs> so... Yeah, you know, and, and talk to us about your blog because you know you are actually working with some big names as clients, and you write for them: CBS Money Watch, CBS Radio, Business dot com, so many big names. So, is there something cool or surprising about working with these guys? Um, <laughs> I don't know if cool or surprising. And <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting thing because this wasn't a, a career path that I planned on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once I got into HR, I was happy to to be there, and um, the blog was purely for fun. Mm. And I got contacted by CBS News and asked if I would write um, write for them, and and um, that's just how it how it started, and it it opened up another area in my life, and I've learned more about publishing industry. And about media in general, um, some of it is very good to know. Some of it is horrifying to know. Can you, can you uh, share one or two horrifying things? <laughs> <laughs> um, one, of the, one of the horrifying things about working in journalism um, is in this day and age of internet, um, if I am the first person to write about a story, you know, something, something big. Um, if I'm one of the first to get that out there, I can get a hundred thousand hits on that article. Mm. If I write about that article, if I write about that topic and post it three hours later, not days, hours, 
That same article will bring me 2,000 hits. And um, you can see the problem inherent in that, Mm -hmm. that it's the first piece out that gets the views, not necessarily the best. Mm -hmm. And so people that take the time to check facts, to speak with other people, um, can often fail completely. And, and that's a big difference from, you know, the old school print journalism. Like when I grew up, my parents subscribed to two papers. We got one in the morning and one in the evening, Um, you know, and it was all of the papers hit at the same time. So um, you wanted yours to be the best, but you didn't have to get it out in five minutes. And So, so much of what you see is not driven by accuracy, but by what can I get written and hit publish on so that I can be the first so that I can get paid because a lot of, uh, a lot of freelancers like I am are paid by the hit. And so there's definitely times when I'm like, Oh, it would be better if I, if I had the chance to speak with this person, but I'm going to go ahead and hit publish because that's going to be the difference between paying my rent and not paying my rent. Exactly. And that's not, that's so unfair, right? Because at the end of the day, you do have your integrity and you want to keep it in check. But at the same time, what you just explained is, I think, the struggle for probably most freelance bloggers out there, uh, where it goes down to the highest bidder and the early bird catching the worm, I guess. It's it's absolutely true. The early bird catches the worm. And the other thing is um, that people like the sensational mm-hmm. um, and they're going to click on that. You know, the the really thoughtful mm-hmm. pieces that I've spent hours and hours researching, nope. they do okay. Yeah. Um, the, my best piece ever that I got 3 million hits on within mm-hmm. a matter of two days, um, I wrote it in 20 minutes. I am not lying. I wrote mm-hmm. it in 20 minutes. And it was um, about... <laughs> Megan Kelly, who's a yeah, 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 yeah. You know who she is. reporter, reporter, she's a reporter, and, and she fight with Trump. Mm-hmm. It, it was it was before that, and she mm. was wearing a spaghetti strap dress mm. at a um, while she was covering a news thing, mm. and I wrote that in twenty minutes, it got three million hits. If there was ever a fluff piece. <laughs> it's that one. Oh my gosh. But this tells you, right? This tells you that sometimes it's those clickbait and, and pictures and our our public is not always, they don't always know what's good for them, right? Which means that I think the lesson for me here is sometimes overthinking is not a good thing. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes it's it's not, but I do have to say, you know, in terms of, that, that piece got 3 million hits within the first two days or whatever, um, but it never gets hits again. Whereas I have other pieces that that maybe didn't do so great when they came out, but five years later, I'm still getting ah, hits Good. There's something in the analytics that you've been studying there. The stickability. I think Dor- my, you and I share someone in common, Dorothy Dalton, and she said, yeah. she, she said this on my podcast as well, the stickability factor that every time you get 
tossed, you get up again and again. And in this case, it's a different context, but I do understand that the topic is so interesting that it brings back the brings back the reader. I'd rather have that. I know 3 million sounds great. It's a vanity metric. Um, but the recurring, the returner, the, the return reader, that's that's wonderful, particularly when you get feedback on that. So Exactly. And those are the pieces that I'm proudest of. Proud of, of yeah. Um, you know, the, the Megan Kelly thing, it was a fun ride while it happened. But yes. And, and, and I stand behind everything I said. Yeah. But it's, it's not like if I'm going to do a portfolio that that piece is going to show up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be linking um, your blog in the show notes. And, um, um, you know, uh, I'm sure all, all your famous uh, pieces are in there. <laughs> it's good for the readers to know what you're talking about. So, you know, um, Suzanne, let's talk about this. You're in uh, Basel, Switzerland. You're one of my few guests who's actually been on the same time zone. <laughs> As I am, which means for me, it's morning for you. It's morning. I love that. Um, So what brought you to Switzerland? And let's talk about, I have a few more questions about Europe and and the US. Sure. Um, So I came here to Switzerland in 2009 um, with my then husband's job. Mm. Um, He's, well, I'd say he's now my ex-husband, but he's now my almost ex-husband. Divorce takes a very long time. Anyway, (laughs) that's another podcast. But (laughs) uh, we came here on a two to three year contract um, with Novartis, another big pharma company. Yes. And and it was such a a great opportunity for him and what an adventure um, to come and do this. And... Um, we planned to go back, you know, after a few years, but we liked it mm. and um, decided to stay um, longer. I didn't intend to stay as long as I have. I've been here for 12 years now and I'm, I can't leave um, because of custody issues. I mean, I, I could pack up and leave tomorrow, but my kids. <laughs> I so I um, now I'm stuck here which sounds worse than it is because it's a lovely place to live. I have an established life. I have a business. I have friends. Um, but it's just one of those freedom of movement things that I'm not allowed to go and it makes yeah. me angry. <laughs> I understand. I understand what you're saying, but I I, I think I if I had to get stuck somewhere, I'd, I'd be happy to be stuck in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand that. And, you know, I, I hear what you're saying because I also came to Belgium in 2009, just like you. And, and we also said the same thing ah, a couple of years. <laughs> well, it's 2021. We're still here. What's going on? <laughs> so there's definitely the... Um, I, I'm going to go back to that word, the stickability of certain places. You just, yes. kind of, it just feels home, you know, you're, you're comfortable. Um, and, you know, talk to us about, I'm guessing when you came here, I, you had to leave your job at Wyeth? Yes, I did. And it worked out rather nicely in that the same week that my husband got the job offer here, um, Pfizer bought out Wyeth. Oh, talk about timing, divine intervention. (laughs) Divine intervention. And so it seemed like a really good time for me to go ahead and quit and and move it. And our original plan was that I would take a year to get the kids adjusted, Mm -hmm. new culture, new language, Mm -hmm. uh, all of that. And then I would go back to work. And it was in that time period that CBS news contacted me and uh, offered me um, a freelance position 
And um, I really liked it. So at that point, I made the decision that I was not going to go back to corporate world and that I wow. was going Okay, okay. That's when, you know, the real, um, the, the evil HR lady kind of really sort of took off. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and, and it's cool because you're, you're doing this work from home thing before it became fashionable. <laughs> exactly. I am, I am one of the... Poster child. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Because you could, you could do the blog from anywhere. So fabulous. So, you know, what do you notice in terms of maybe one similarity and one difference? Um, Suzanne, in terms of employment practices, and I know when I say Europe, I know I'm generalizing because there's no such thing because every country has its, um, you know, employment law practices. Uh, but between the US and Europe. Um, well, one big difference between the U.S. and Europe, and I think this is pretty universal in Europe, um, the U.S., almost all of employment in the U.S. is at will. At will. I knew you'd say that. Oh, yeah. God. We're so insecure. Yes. Anytime. Yes. They can fire you anytime. I mean, there are rules against firing. Don't anybody think that that just means that you can just walk up and fire someone? You can't. Um, that's a whole other podcast, too. Um, <laughs> Um, and in Europe, you have contracts. And mm-hmm. so depending on where you are, um, you know, Switzerland is actually considered very employer friendly mm-hmm. because their contracts are limited to three months, generally, mm-hmm. sometimes six months. Um, so you only have to give someone three months notice, whereas in a lot of other countries, it can be much, much more difficult to terminate someone. Mm-hmm. So that is a huge 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 difference and it's a uh, it's a completely different mindset um of of employment and that's that's a big thing um another this is another big thing um which i'm seeing less of but uh, definitely when we first moved here you would see um job postings and they would give a sex and an age range Oh, God. But I still see that, uh, Suzanne. I see that in multiple. I see that in Dutch. I see that in French. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> here. And I, it's uh, it's unnecessary, but it's sort of the law. And between you and me, I just don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't get it either. And I don't actually know what the law is. I have been told that it's illegal, but it's clearly not something that people get punished for. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I think I misunderstood you. What I meant is here, I see a lot of positions where they write both genders. Oh, no, no, no. Here, it'll say like... Specifically man or woman. Oh! Women 25 to 30. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that is Um, a slap on the wrist for most countries. Yes. You see that um, a lot of retail positions will, yeah. will see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I've been told it's illegal, but they still do it. So they I still don't, do it. Mm. Uh, it's it's a, a huge, a huge thing. It's disgraceful. No, that's disgraceful. They, they can't prove that you need to be that age to do the job. No, it, so that's ridiculous. It's it's utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Utterly yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. But it, it happens here. It happens. That's sad. It's sad. Um, and this is supposed to be so-called, you know, advanced developed economies. Oh boy. Um, I can imagine what goes on in other places. So, uh, gosh. So, uh, Suzanne, uh, like you said, that's another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let, you talked about severance and I want to, I want to mention this here because a lot of us, uh, with what we've been through in 2020, 2021, if you, you know, let, let's, um, 
I'm going to pull, you know, picture a scenario with you right now. Okay. What would be your best tip for someone who thinks they are about to lose their job in terms of severance negotiation? You know, I, I know that there's different conditions in different countries, but talk to us about maybe some universal truths across the board that you think could help them. Okay, so if you think that you are going to be terminated, mm. step number one is to start looking for a new job. Mm. And um, because even if you're not ending up that way, it's probably an unpleasant situation all around. And so step number one is start looking mm. for a new job. Step number two is to realize that if they want you gone, you have some leverage here. And a lot of people don't think that, and this is becomes more true the higher your compensation mm. is. Mm. You know, if you're working at Burger King mm. and they want you gone, they're just going to fire you. Good luck. Uh, mm. And in the U.S., there's absolutely no severance. You know, you're just gone. Yeah. But if you're a highly paid professional and they want you gone, um, they want to do it as painlessly as possible. And they're often willing to negotiate an exit mm. for you. Mm. And there's a couple of things you can do with severance as well as termination reasons. So if you're 90% sure that your boss wants you gone, um, you can go to your boss and or HR and say, you know, I understand that you're unhappy with me. Um can we talk about an exit strategy? Mm-hmm. Because you're saying initiate the conversation. Go ahead and initiate the conversation. If you think that you're going to be gone anyway, um, you know, knowing is is better than not knowing. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you're saying you're not saying I'm resigning. You say, you know, look, can we negotiate something here? And you can negotiate severance. You can negotiate a termination reason. Um, you can negotiate in Switzerland. One of the big things is you get an employment letter when you leave a company that you then have to show to your next employer. Mm. Um, and you can negotiate that letter, mm-hmm. uh, what goes into it. You This termination reason, um, you can negotiate uh, whether they will fight you receiving unemployment um, mm-hmm. benefits or not. Um, there's so many things that there's you so can, many things. Yeah, no, you absolutely. Can and if you're a highly paid professional, go ahead and hire the employment attorney. Um, you know, if you're not highly paid, you can't afford it. And that's yeah. just a huge bummer for anybody. But if you're, if you've got the money it's definitely worth it because they know your rights better. And it's amazing what you can accomplish with one letter from an attorney. Um, <laughs> Scaring them off a little bit. Yeah. I mean, just simply saying, and, and I'm coming from this as a position. I spent three years at Wyeth laying people off. That was mm-hmm. my whole job. Mm-hmm. Um, was to to run those those layoffs and and you never ever scared me by saying I'm going to talk to my attorney I would Mm -hmm. always say please talk to your attorney I I encourage you to do this (laughs) and the reason why is that I knew 
that their attorney was going to take a look at our offer and tell the person, sign that, please. I, it's ironclad. I got it. I got it. You know, um, I love that you said this, that this is in such contrast to hiring. You're saying, Mm-mm, I'm not a big fan of negotiation during hiring, although, you know, in the current environment, it's a good idea. But at the time of being fired, negotiate everything, everything. And it's amazing what you said, how little people actually practice it, because it's so much better than doing nothing. Um, right. You're the one who's losing out. And, and you know, I have, you know, I have like literally advised my clients on things like, okay, they're not going to give you this, try this. Okay. Okay. They're not going to give you this. Ask for, um, for them to pay a photographer so you can get a nice headshot for LinkedIn, like anything, the sky is the limit, but if you don't ask, you're not going to get. That's right. You're, you're not. And, mm. and they want you gone, but they want you gone painlessly. Yes. And for, for most companies, money is far less painful than emotional trauma behind it. And don't think, for an instance, a lot of people think, oh, you know, HR is cold-hearted people mm-hmm. and managers are cold-hearted. I, one of the things I did when I did layoffs is I trained managers in how to lay yes. people, how to have that yes. conversation. Me too. Yes. I have had people when just doing the practice yeah. where they were practicing on me, yeah. when I gave them the dialogue and then they are supposed to tell me that I'm fired, get tears in their eyes, yeah. not be able to do it and like be choked up. That was just on the practice. <laughs> uh, the managers for the most part are good people who are making a business decision. And it can be a business decision because the company isn't doing well or we're moving in a different product line or whatever. And so you have to go. And it can also just be that you are not a good fit um, and you're not doing a good job. And I know that you're a nice person and that you can do well elsewhere, but this is not the place for you. Um, It's hard. It's Mm. hard. And so if you can come and say, look, I know that you are planning to terminate me. You know, you have me on this performance improvement plan. Um, I'm not doing well on it. Um, Let's negotiate so that I can leave um, and be okay financially and you can get rid of me. And um, you also don't have to tell my coworkers, yeah, we fired Suzanne. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I can say, oh, I'm, I'm resigning. I'm, you know, I'm leaving. And and that's a benefit for the manager as well. I mean, it's a yes. different situation if, if you catch me stealing printers or something. Sure, that's misconduct. No, I, I hear you. And, you know, you're you're very right because COVID has given a, a lot of people a, a bit of a breather um, and a blanket reason for why they're not working today. But if you're fired and it's performance, it's a very hard thing to recover from. So I'm so happy that you're sharing this um, because, you know, at the end of the day, um, what you said, it's for the company, it's more about the reputation and pain and doing it in a painless fashion and, and you leave. And, and another, th- another thing that you said, I've also laid a lot of people off, uh, Suzanne, um, you can do it dozens of times. It doesn't get, it, it gets easier, but it doesn't mean it's nice. It's, it's not pleasant. You know, you no, have sleepless nights, right? Uh, Suzanne thinking, I don't know. I, I've, I've, it's not easy. It takes days to for me to get over it. 
Yeah, it's it's not an easy thing, but this is one thing that I can say from my experience in doing it mm-hmm. is that um, we did it the right mm-hmm. way. And always with compassion, yes. always, I mean, we were always able to offer a very nice severance package. We provided outplacement yes. services for people. Um, and it it's definitely a time period in my life that I'm very, very proud of the work I did. Um, it's not, it wasn't fun. No, but, no. But it, it's not common either. It's not common for it to be, in the sense, to be to to say this. I'm proud of that. You know, it's not common to say that. People were like, "Hey, I'd rather forget that part of my career." No, and whereas I'm like, "Look, we did everything right." And one of the things that I can say, um, you know, I in my time there, I laid off probably around three, four thousand people that I was involved in their terminations, hmm. and. Um, zero ended up in court. Wow. That is an achievement. <laughs> and, and That's some amazing. Some, some people absolutely hired lawyers. Sure. Um, and sure. there was negotiations going on there behind the scenes, but we never ended up in court. Sure. And, um, because what we did was fair. Yes. Yes. And, and the other word you said is compassion, which is important because I, I've been, I've done lots of these layoffs, but I've also been laid off. And, and sometimes, you know, you got to experience a little bit to understand what the other person's going through. And yeah, I understand what you're going through, but it's very different when you've actually been there. So, um, yeah. Good. And, mm-hmm. and this is another thing for, for hiring managers. Don't discount someone that's been laid off. You know, I've laid off three, 4,000 people and 90% of those we would have happily kept if it weren't for business reasons. Yes. No, it was business reasons. If someone is laid off, you don't assume that, oh, it was because they were a poor performer. No, I, I laid off people that their performance ratings was exceeds expectations. Sure, sure. It sure. was just that we were closing this product line. Sure. And and people say, it's. Uh, what do you mean it's not personal? It feels very personal. Yeah, true. But it really wasn't personal sometimes. <laughs> no, and, and it is true that if there were three people in the department and we needed to cut head by one, the one going was going to be the person with the lowest performance rating, for sure. But it doesn't mean that that one person was a bad per- employee that we wouldn't have happily kept. Correct, correct, oh. correct. So, you know, this brings me to this. So let's say someone who's listening, they've been laid off. Um, Suzanne, it's a very interesting question because I, I always get different answers. And they say they've done pretty much whatever they could do. They're still not getting interviews. What is that one thing you could say to them today? If they aren't getting interviews, um, then I would say their first step is to revamp their CV or their resume. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not getting the interviews, that's probably a a failure there. If you're Mm -hmm. not getting hired after Mm -hmm. interviews, that's a different question. And when I say revamp it, most people's resumes and CVs are just fine. Mm -hmm. And you don't need to pay someone Mm $4,000 to redo your resume. Someone was telling me that they had looked into it and someone was charging $4,000. And I was like, I'm in the wrong career. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to switch. I'm going to start doing $4,000 resumes. (laughs) Um, I'm like, you know, 
send it to, I, I have a couple of people who I will um, highly recommend that won't do the $4,000 remake, but that will take and look at your resume and point out the areas that you need to, to change on that. Um, and then you also don't try to hide. I mean, right now I think it's a little bit easier because so mm. many people lost their jobs mm. um, that there's, you don't need a lot of explanation. You can just be like COVID. Mm. Yeah. I was washing my hands. <laughs> exactly. Um, but in other times, you know, bring it up in your cover letter that, you know, I was, I mean, I can give you an example from, from Wyeth. I was working in women's health at Wyeth Pharmaceuticals and Wyeth decided to stop all research on birth control pills. And that was my area. And so I lost my job. Yeah. You know, just be up front because that was yeah. something I did. Everybody that worked on birth control pills because Wyeth decided at one point that they were not going to make any new. Yeah new birth control pills. And so they just, everybody in that group got terminated. Correct. Say that in your yep. cover letter um, so that the, a recruiter or hiring manager knows, oh, okay, you weren't selected out. Um, it was that you were in women's health and the women's health research department closed. Right, right. Sometimes it's about addressing objections and I'm a big fan of that as well. So that you don't leave a lot of, um, what do you call it? Like a mystery, uh, um, air about you where people yeah. are like I don't understand it and a con- you know what they say a confused mind never um, acts it stays still so great fabulous um, so if you're not getting um, this is HR advice if you're not getting hired either check your resume um, CV resume depends which part of the world you live in or um, time to look at interview practices and seeing hmm, is there something you're saying or doing that is not Converting. Absolutely. Helping you. Good. So, Suzanne, um, we're coming close to the end. I've had so much fun. I can't believe it. It's already like time. (laughs) Um, When you look back on the last couple of decades, is there one standout defining moment that supercharged your career and helped you move towards the current success that you enjoy today? Um. One of one of the things that really boosted me, and this is going to sound bizarro, um, <laughs> is I had been I had been writing for CBS for several years, and they canceled my contract. Mm. And um, the stated reason, and I'm not kidding, <laughs> is is my editor said to me, "We are moving away from the expert model," and I said. So you just want people that don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And she's like, well, yes. I was like, okay. And at that moment, I came to the realization that I had put, you know, almost all of my eggs in one Mm. basket Mm. and I didn't like that. Mm. So instead of going out and finding a replacement for CBS, um, that would replace all of that income. I found four or five clients to replace that income. And that allowed me to expand my reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they none of them were paying me at the level that CBS was. Um, but the combined thing was, but that really gave me this kickstart to network and to mm-hmm. build 
relationships because CBS had called me, you know, mm-hmm. they, they called me out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wasn't into this world and then them ending my contract made me go into this world and it kicked me in the, in the behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I mean, I would have been happy to stay writing for them. It was a great platform, um, but such is life, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it really kicked me in this new direction because by this time I had already decided I don't want to go back corporate. I don't want to do it. Um, so what can I do to stay in this? And that was a really defining uh, moment. Wow, wonderful. Because, you know, if this hadn't happened, you may not have diversified your portfolio, so to speak. Right. Um, Which it sort of did, which may have been unpleasant at the time. But I love that you took something which felt unpleasant and actually are creating a learning moment, a teachable moment for everyone who's listening today. So fabulous. Um, Suzanne, so this is so much fun. And, And how can people who want to learn more, how can they learn more about you? Well, I'm easy to find. If you Google Evil HR Lady, I will pop up. Yes. Um, with the, with the, I have to say, with the, the horns and the, and the arrow and then the red goggles and everything. Well done. So evilhrlady.org, right? Evilhrlady.org. And then I'm on Twitter at Real Evil HR Lady. And I have a Facebook group. And that's a really, really great group, especially for HR people who are solo practitioners or are in small HR departments, uh, because we really serve as your peers. Oh, and- that's wonderful. And, and with that said, Suzanne, this has been uh, lots of learning, a lot of fun. I expected nothing less. So I want to say a big, big thank you to you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me on your So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. And if you did, I'd love for you to do one little thing. Go to Apple Podcasts. So that's podcast.apple.com and leave me a review. This really, really helps the discoverability of the show and can help inspire job seekers out there to find jobs and take care of their families. Can you think of anything more important right now? Hmm? I didn't think so. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to get to know you and what you liked about the show. And and perhaps if you have ideas, feel free to reach out. So take care of yourself. And until next time, bye for now. Thank you.